The U.S. experienced the highest average growth rates in world history. That's how we became so rich, having stable money. But when it's unstable, people hedge. You uh, look for hard assets because you don't trust the value. And we get the kind of situation we have today. You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. Are you concerned about constantly rising prices at the pump and supermarkets? Are you fed up with politicians and bureaucrats who blame everyone but themselves for inflationary prices? Well, so is our special guest, Steve Forbes, and he has co-authored a most timely book, Inflation, what it is, why it's bad, and how to fix it. This book is not a dry economic analysis. It is a short, easy to read guide to why inflation is a danger to the social fabric of society, why inflation is rearing its ugly head, how to stop it, and how to make personal investments in this inflationary time. Steve, you and your co-authors brilliantly explain the important aspects of inflation. Can you share with our audience why average Americans are experiencing it now? And is Putin really the culprit here? Well, uh, the typical American is feeling it right now. And there are two, we point out in the book that there are two kinds of inflation. Uh, the traditional monetary kind, where the value of a currency is reduced, usually by governments creating too much money, or in days of old, taking uh, precious metals out of coins and replacing them with junk. Uh, we saw that in Roman times and since, or even before. And the other kind is non-monetary inflation, which comes from, uh, say, a drought or a war, such as we're seeing in Ukraine, the kind of lockdowns that we experienced during the pandemic, where we absolutely disrupt all kinds of business arrangements and networks around the world. You just don't turn that on like a faucet or a light switch. And those uh, lead to uh, higher prices, those kinds of art artificial shortages. So what we're seeing today is a blend of both. And uh, we point out in the book also is that uh, the government, this government is making it worse, the Biden administration, by instead of letting the economy heal from the disruptions of the lockdowns, it is making the recovery much slower, uh, starting with its war on energy, on fossil fuels, uh, natural gas and oil, even though natural gas by, is considered by the Europeans to be a clean energy. Uh, they are putting in massive new regulations, which is slowing the economy down. So instead of letting the economy heal, they're making the situation worse. Uh, so that part of inflation could cure itself, but uh, they're not letting it. Now, obviously things like war you can't control, but even there eventually wars do end and the economy would recover. Now, the other kind of inflation, which has got me worried right now, is the monetary kind, where you uh, reduce the value of the integrity of the dollar, printing too much. <clears throat> the Federal Reserve, our central bank started doing this, uh, Alan, before even the pandemic in 2018, 2019. Then when the pandemic came along and Congress passed these massive spending bills, you had disruptive supply, 
a lot of money. And guess what? Prices go up. Now, the Federal Reserve in the past year should not have been creating money. Uh, the crisis was largely over. But unfortunately, for political reasons, in part because Chairman Powell wanted to be reappointed, they kept interest rates low. They printed a boatload of money. They do it by buying bonds, in this case, $120 billion of bonds each month. Now, the thing to understand here is when you, uh, the Fed goes out to the marketplace and let's say they call up Goldman Sachs or somebody and say, we want a billion dollars of bonds. And so the dealer says, fine. They turn over the bonds and the feds pay for the bonds by crediting the dealer's account. But the crediting comes with money created by the Fed literally out of thin air. It's uh, the ultimate uh, ATM. They just create it. And so the Fed in the past year created hundreds of billions of dollars of new money, in addition to all the money printing they did before, but they used a gimmick. I won't uh, bore your listeners with the gimmick. It's called reverse repurchase agreements. In essence, the Fed uh, created the money and then borrowed it back. It was like pouring water in one end of a pool and then taking it out at the other end. But what the Fed has done is very dangerous. These uh, repos, as they call them, a year ago, a little over a year ago, were at zero. Now they're $1.7 trillion. So the bottom line is the uh, typical American is rightly to be concerned. The recovery from non-monetary inflation has been uh, hampered by the Biden administration. And the monetary kind, the Fed unfortunately shows no sign, no sign of, under, of uh, understanding that you can control inflation, not by throwing an economy into recession, which the Fed thinks you have to do, but simply restabilizing the dollar. And by the way, by the way, you're thinking about Putin, you know, they, as you pointed out, they always blame somebody else. Uh, in Roman times, they blame Christians. In medieval times, they blame witches. In the early 20s, in the Weimar Republic in Germany, during that hyperinflation, they blamed Jewish bankers and merchants. Uh, during the 70s, uh, Nixon blamed uh, Arab oil producers. And now we have the scapegoating again, greedy corporate executives, greedy oil companies and the like. Always somebody else's fault, but it's the government's fault. You know, almost from the beginning of the Biden administration, uh, very early on, the head of the Fed, while Americans were experiencing high prices, uh, again, in supermarkets at the pump, their response was that this is inflationary. Is the, uh, this is transitory. Is it that they are just not smart? They're not good economists? The average American, blue-collar worker, college-educated folks, they knew that this inflation was real and that they are not only were experiencing it, but that they would experiencing it, uh, uh, that they were in the future going to be paying higher and higher prices. What's the disconnect here? Are, are these government economists uh, that dense? <laughs> well, what you have at work here are uh, two factors. Uh, one, in, one is that they truly didn't understand how massively they disrupted, they and other governments, the global economy when you shut things down. Uh, they thought it was like turning the light switch off and then you turn it back on. No. 
You had countries recovering at different paces. You had countries that were big on lockdowns. You saw it in the United States. Some states were very authoritarian in their lockdowns and restrictions. Others, like the free state of Florida, took the opposite direction. So the recovery from the disruptions was uneven. So that was bad enough. But if the government had just let the thing work itself out, a large part of the pain we're feeling now would start to be easing a little bit. And by the way, the word transitory, you can say life is transitory. <laughs> Everything is transitory, but they grossly underestimated it. Then they made it worse by printing up, uh, first spending, uh, doing all these big spending bills. The Biden administration did not have to pass that uh, 1.9 trillion uh, bill early in the, in the part of the uh, new administration. The so-called infrastructure bill, as you know, only about 10 cents on the dollar, 15 cents or 25 cents, if you're really generous, is real infrastructure. The rest is political junk they put in there. And uh, so uh, they, they, they have all the spending out there. And who buys when the government spends the money? How does the government pay for it? Well, they borrow a lot of it. And guess who the buyer of a lot of that debt was? The predominant buyer was the Federal Reserve by creating money out of thin air. And when you do that, and you undermine the integrity of the dollar, you get uh, problems. But so were they dense? They miscalculated and also, you know, they, I'm sure on their IQ test, they, 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 they would be very high. Uh, some of them could probably boil even water with their IQs. But uh, their understanding of the economy is abysmal. The Fed really believes that you have to, uh, they say they want to slow the economy down. Well, it's not prosperity or people working or earning money that cause inflation. It's the Fed and others, the Treasury Department, reducing the value of the dollar by debasing it, printing too much of it. That's the, that, that's the cause. And the cure is very simple. Stabilize the dollar. By golly, uh, we'll work these things out. You talk about stabilizing the dollar and a major component of your solution is that we should seriously make steps to go back to a gold standard. Can you explain why linking the American dollar to gold would in fact strengthen the dollar and reduce inflation? Uh, yes, uh, we all know that fixed weights and measures in the marketplace make the marketplace work better. You know, when you buy a gallon of gasoline, you don't have to worry that the size of the gallon is going to change each day. You buy a pound of cheese, you don't have to worry if it's going to be 13 ounces one day or 18 ounces the next. You assume 60 minutes in an hour, 12 inches in a ruler. So money, money is simply uh, makes it easy for people to buy and sell. You know, uh, when you go to a restaurant, you might check your coat. What do you get? You get a coat check, a piece of plastic or a piece of paper, worthless in and of itself, but a claim on a real thing. You buy a ticket to an event, same thing. Uh, it may be ellipsis on your handheld or a piece of paper, but it's a, it's a claim. So money is like a lot of claim checks when you're in the money that you go out in the marketplace and you uh, can uh, buy uh, things that uh, you want to buy. So money works best when it has a stable value. Now, why gold? Because over time, gold keeps its intrinsic value, a stable value, better than anything else. It's been true for 3,000 years, better than silver, better than copper, better than anything else for a variety of reasons. 
So it's not perfect, but it's better than anything else. And so it doesn't restrict the size of the economy. It just means it's like a yardstick. The dollar has a stable value. Now, one of the things we point out in the book, for example, is that between 1775, when we got this, uh, started to get this country on the road, uh, to 1900, when we went from a small group of uh, weak colonies on the eastern seaboard to by 1900, the mightiest nation in the world, industrially, the, the money supply went up 160 fold, even though the supply of gold only went up threefold. Why? Because it's not the, 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 the dollar represented real work. And so uh, it's, it's, you know, you, you don't feel you, when you build a building, you don't feel you're restricted because by the number of rulers you have, <laughs> 12 inches in a foot, and then you use that as the yardstick, so to speak, to build the building or to build a highway measuring length. So gold helps keep the dollar stable in value, which means you can use it for future contracts with confidence. You don't have to hedge it or anything like that. Let me just give you, Alan, one statistic. We had a gold standard, as you referred to, after World War II, it was called Bretton Woods because the system was put to Bretton Woods, New Hampshire in the closing days of World War II. And from the late 1840s to the late 60s, before we system up, the average U.S. growth was 4.2% a year. Since we went off, we blew, since we blew up Bretton Woods, the average growth rate has gone down to 2.7%. So you compound that over time and you can see the huge damage. Today, typical household average income is about 66,000. If we had maintained those average growth rates, would be about $100,000 to $110,000. How much nicer life would be if you had 50% more of income? And from Washington days, when Washington and Hamilton, Hamilton was our first treasury secretary, put us on a gold standard. Uh, we kept to it pretty much for 170 years to, to the 1980 uh, years to the early 70s. And uh, the US experienced the highest average growth rates in world history. That's how we became so rich having stable money. But when it's unstable, people hedge, you uh, look for hard assets because you don't trust the value and we get the kind of situation we have today. Inflation weakens social trust that people have in society, the government. Can you explain that aspect of inflation? Well, that is a critically important part of it. When we think of inflation, we think of prices, we think of economics and uh, that sort of thing. But also unstable money undermines social trust. It does start to rip away the fabric of society because how do we interact with strangers? We do it through the medium of money. Uh, I don't have to know you or anyone else, but we can do complex transactions together uh, through money. And uh, that enables the kind of uh, networks that makes uh, these elaborate supply chains possible. But when money starts to lose value, people start to see that for some reason, uh, one, they're not able to buy as much as before. Uh, also, when money becomes unstable, then speculation becomes a way to get rich. And so people think, gee, people are, you know, it's one thing to invent something, the iPhone and you get rich, 
but quite another people think, well, the speculators are getting rich, but not through honest work in their minds. And, and also, uh, if you have a hyperinflation, as we saw in Germany or Venezuela today or Germany in the early 20s, people start engaging in behaviors they never would have tolerated before. The corruption becomes more rampant. Keynes said not one in a million understand what's going on. So you look around the world, countries that chronically trash their money, like Brazil, have very high levels of violence, very low levels of social trust. So it's not just uh, prices, it's the whole fabric of society gets corrupted and people are bewildered by it, they don't understand it, and uh, it leads to uh, bad politics as well, turbulent politics. You mentioned in the book that there are, and I think they currently are making policy, um, a group of people who buy into what is called modern monetary theory. Can you explain what that is, why that is way off the mark? Yes, modern monetary theory is uh, the old debasing of money, whether it's the Romans putting uh, trash metals in a coin or printing too much money as the Fed's been doing today, but putting in seemingly sophisticated garb, modern monetary theory. But it's just the old debasing of the currency. And the reason that this has gained currency, so to speak, is that after the uh, crisis of 2008, the Fed printed up a lot of money. But what the Fed did, sort of what the Fed is doing today, is that it didn't release it into the economy. It uh, paid banks to keep the money deposited at the Federal Reserve. Also, banks had to replenish their balance sheets because they had gotten way too much in debt. So that took several years. And so it uh, uh, looked like, gee, the Fed expended its balance sheet, bought all these bonds, printed a lot of money, and nothing seemingly bad. Well, it did. The economic recovery from 2008 was one of the slowest and worst in American history. That kind of got overlooked. And now uh, the banks have plenty of capital. Uh, there's still a lot of cash in the system. Uh, people don't have it. Some people do, but it's sort of sloshing out there. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's going to cause trouble if the Fed doesn't get its act together. So uh, modern monetary theory, uh, if they follow through on it, and I think there's going to be some pushback on it, uh, hold, hold your hat, as we used to say, uh, the roller coaster is going to get pretty sickening. And uh, there's no guarantee the you know, roller coaster a car is going to stay on the track. You know, Steve, um, in your book, you talk about um, almost just about every aspect that a bad um, currency policy can have in this um, for the average American. But you also say that the average American has the ability through social media, through the internet, of keeping tabs on in a, what is going on in terms of economic policies that affect them. That people can be and should be more engaged in holding, I would say, their elected official, uh, officials responsible for the economic situation that we are experiencing. Can you talk about what role the average American, the average listener to this podcast can and should play in this, uh, in this economic times? 
yes, one of the differences you uh, pointed out between today and the 1970s when we had the great inflation is social media. Uh, people can get information very quickly. Uh, people notice things uh, much more uh, quickly and therefore uh, can react to them. So uh, we point out some of the things you can do. If, uh, you, uh, for example, the Federal Reserve each week puts out its balance sheet. We point out in the book where you can find it. It's readily available. And you can see things like reverse repurchase agreements, seemingly esoteric, and notice strange things are going on. You can, uh, like the Fed now, uh, you know, February of 2020, there are zero of these gimmicks. Now it's $1.7 trillion worth. And uh, you can see what the money supply is. You can also uh, keep tabs of what the government's doing in the treasury uh, auctions. Uh, you can uh, keep track of what uh, the instantly today, commodity prices, gold prices, silver, wheat, and things like that are commodity averages. And then you, uh, what, what uh, concerned Americans should do is uh, uh, go after their elected representatives. They can start with them and say, uh, what is going on at the Federal Reserve? What is the meaning of the money supply? M2 going up mean. Uh, what uh, what uh, do rising commodity prices mean? Do you have to have a recession to control inflation? What, what's, the, what's the theory behind that? And uh, so the key thing is uh, asking questions. When questions are asked, yeah, you may not see a change in policy at first, but people are on notice that people are looking, uh, they're finding things that disturb them, and uh, they want to know uh, what you're going to do about it. And one of the things that people should do with this book is if a representative or an official says, well, we may put on price controls or things like that, we point out in the book that rising prices are a symptom of reducing the value of the currency or the supply chain disruptions that the government's still abetting. And, uh, and uh, so they point to the symptoms and not the real causes. And just as we pointed out, they're always pointing for scapegoats, whether it's Christians, witches, uh, minorities like uh, Jews in Germany in the early 20s, or uh, foreigners doing bad things. They, they, they always find a scapegoat, always a villain to point to. But uh, the Americans should say, no, we've seen this movie in variations for thousands of years. Uh, what are you really doing to get to the base causes of it? Don't say it's a greedy oil company executive. They suddenly didn't become more greedy. They've been the same today as they were 20 or 40 years ago. <laughs> you know, as Steve said uh, in this book, and I want to mention its co-authors, um, Nathan Lewis and Elizabeth Ames. The book is called Inflation. It is uh, published by Encounter Books. Um, it's readily available on Amazon and other places they may purchase books. And uh, as Steve said, there is, a, um, there is an explanation as well as information websites that one can go to to track economic policy in this country. And he explains it in this book very clearly 
very forthrightly, and it's a very handy guide. One of the things, section of the book, you talk about in inflationary times, how should people, in fact, invest their personal wealth? How, should they buy stocks? Should they drop bonds, meaning stop investing in bonds? So you give a very uh, interesting look at, uh, uh, on how people should look at what investments they make in their personal portfolios. Well, that's right. And there's no easy uh, way to protect yourself when the government is uh, fooling around with your money. And uh, we make that clear. There are no, uh, no, no simple things. You just press a button and voila. So we, we offer a variety of uh, ways you can uh, uh, hedge. One is the information we talked about earlier. What is the government doing on spending? What does that portend? But in terms of investments, uh, you should have part of your portfolio we recommend in gold, not because gold is an investment, but because gold is an insurance policy if the government uh, could, continues to go off track. So we had discussed that. Even silver might play a role right now. And uh, then kind, what kinds of stocks should you look at? What kind of ETFs, exchange traded funds you should look at? Uh, whether it's a farmland, uh, there are certain kinds of uh, ways uh, you can go into uh, gold mining stocks. We're not buying on a royalty basis. There are a variety of ways you can do this. And uh, in terms of real estate, uh, you just can't say buy hard assets. Uh, there's a lot of overbuilding in commercial markets uh, right now. So you have to be careful of location, uh, what, what assets uh, look good in a particular location. And then the other thing is uh, you should look at stocks that have a good record of keeping dividends or raising dividends. That is, they have a strong balance sheet. They throw off a lot of cash. And what that means is uh, they have pricing power. And so you can, it's a nice thing, even if the money is uh, under assault, to get cash in when you have turbulent times, because that gives you at least the means short term to uh, do other things. So we outline the uh, dividend stocks and the like, hard assets, uh, real estate, the flaws and the pluses. And so uh, the other thing we warn you though, and we give you the th some of the signals you should watch out for, is at some point, Alan, the government steps up and decides once and for all to cure the disease. We saw that in the early 1980s under Ronald Reagan uh, as president and Paul Volcker as head of the Federal Reserve. The decision was made, we're gonna do everything we can to stop this inflation, which had been getting worse and worse and worse for over a dozen years. Uh, the economy went through a terrible time, but they cured the disease. And the, uh, the warning here is that, uh, that investments that worked well during inflationary times, uh, like in the 70s, farmland and uh, commodities, were terrible when the inflation started to be conquered. We give the example of oil. Oil went from $3 a barrel in the late 1960s, almost $40 a barrel by the early 1980s. When inflation was conquered, it crashed down to about $12 or $13 and stabilized finally at 20 to 25. So an investment or a, a activity that looks good when prices are rising are not so good 
when the disease is finally being conquered. We give some of the things you should look out for uh, by what, what actions the government seems to be taking, is the Federal Reserve making a serious attempt to stabilize the dollar so that, uh, yeah, you may get out too early, but better to get out too early on inflationary hedges than uh, get caught when uh, suddenly the environment changes. So there's no easy way to do it. You have to work at it. Like every other aspect of your book, Inflation, you give some very pointed and valuable advice. For example, that you shouldn't divest all your cash or invest all your cash, hold on to some cash, even in an inflationary period. And that gold mining stocks, for whatever reason, are not the best way to invest in gold. And, no, you, you had to do real work on that. And uh, yeah. they, we point out some of the royalty devices that might be helpful. Right. But again, the, the, you got to do work. <laughs> no, but that's, uh, and we do have the tools on our desktops or on our phones and on our iPad. Steve Forbes, um, first off, I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your busy day to, in fact, uh, do our podcast. Uh, and I want to doubly thank you and your co-authors for writing a very, very handy guide to, uh, to writing through and writing an inflationary period that we are currently in. And it's very valuable advice. And um, I look forward to having you back on the podcast sometime. And I wish you all the best with the book. Well, thank you very much, Alan. Uh, very much enjoyed it. And the, the bottom line in all of it is in terms of inflation on the monetary kind of inflation, stabilize the dollar and things will quickly work their way out. It's not complicated. That's something we hammer home. And That's we point right. out all the mistakes that government make. There's a simple, straightforward, time-tested way to do it. And the second thing on supply chains disruptions, don't make the situation worse. Let the economy free people work it out, and eventually we will and get things back on track again in a positive way. Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.